You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, special COVID-19 broadcast from the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, streaming live via the Community Radio Network across the country, north to south, east to west, in every state and territory. My name is Joseph Toscano, and if you wonder what anarchy is all about, it's not what's happening in the world today. Anarchos means without rulers, it's about creating a society without rulers, what gives rulers powers, inequalities in power and wealth? What is the uh, the uh, anarchist uh, strategy? The anarchist strategy is to devolve power, that's share power and share wealth. And if, if there's anything to highlight how important the public sector is, it's what's happening today. Let's Let's... This world has been dominated for the last 40 years by an economic system which is based on the creation of ever-increasing profits for a shrinking number of people. Neoliberalism, it's called. It's based on privatisation, as I said many times, about giving away public assets to the private sector. It's about globalisation. It's about exporting jobs to the lowest paid workers around the world. It's about corporatisation, uh, allowing larger and larger corporations to dominate every activity of human existence, and it's about deregulation, removing those rules which were put into place to protect people. And what the COVID virus has done is what we have been unable to do over the last four decades. Not only has it driven a stake in the neoliberal vampire's heart, but it it is, as far as I'm concerned, a rallying cry for us now. Now's the time for us to start thinking about creating that new world in our hearts. Obviously, we can't do that at the current time. We all are doing the right things, social isolation, keeping away from people, seeking advice if we have uh, medical issues, and uh, it's about the only way to contain uh, this virus. 
irrespective of how the virus originated, in my opinion, is it, it originated because of uh, increasing population growth and uh, climate change, which makes it much easier for virus, new viruses to uh, cross the animal-human boundary. But irrespective, the thing is, what this has shown us is that neoliberalism cannot, cannot deal with an emergency. Whether it's a war, whether it's a virus, whether it's a major uh, earthquake, the concept of creating ever-increasing profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and human costs, that economic system cannot deal with the problem. Now, I know a lot of people today are depressed. They're lonely because they're self-isolated. They feel that everything is hopeless. And I think what that highlights to me, that was highlighted to me today, when I checked our normal sources to see if there's any new applications for public interest before corporate interest. And there were no new applications from anywhere across Australia. Nowhere. Not one new member. I mean... The issue is, do we want to find ourselves in this situation in three years' time or four years' time when there is another national disaster? Or do we want to look at seizing this moment and creating the conditions for a new world which is actually able to deal with the problems of increasing population growth, limited resources human-induced climate emergency and the domination of the world economy by an economic system based on ever-increasing profits. And if there's one thing that highlights how important the public sector is, it's the COVID-19 virus. If you look at the what's happening around the world, Australia is in a particularly fortunate situation. It's not in a fortunate situation because of government policy. It's in a fortunate situation because for generations, Australians have demanded the state take on the responsibility of looking after people in times of crisis. And if there's one banner, we should be one word we should be screaming out, it's public, 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 public. Now, the death rate and the infection rate most likely will not be as bad in this country as in many other countries, and it won't be as bad in this country for three reasons. One, we have a public hospital system. Irrespective of what governments have attempted to do over the last 40 years to destroy the public health sector, and funnel resources and money into the private health sector, irrespective, we have a public health system in this country, which means that anybody, irrespective of who they are, how much they earn, can present to an accident emergency department and be treated. That's right. We have a strong public hospital system, despite... The Morrison government and the Abbott government doing all they could before COVID-19 hit to destroy the public health system. We also have 
a universal medical insurance scheme, which is called Medicare, which most other places around the world do not have. Medicare, again, provides basic access to out-of-hospital care to uh, GPs and specialists and um, para-health workers in a variety of fields through the taxation system. So we've got a public health sector, we've got a public health, universal health insurance scheme. Then the other thing we have is a public health sector. Although the public health sector has actually been attempted to be destroyed, it is still there. The experts are still there who can actually provide those services. And last but not least, we have a universal social security system. Irrespective of what the Morrison-led government and the Abbott-led government and the Howard-led government have done over the last 20 years, attempting to humiliate, denigrate uh, people who are on social security benefits, we at least have a mechanism via which not people can actually access the basic necessities of life. Now, these things didn't come out of thin air, and they didn't come out of the fact that governments wanted to uh, be kind to us. They came out of struggle. And I'm a great believer in looking at history, looking backwards as well as looking forwards. And a public health service, a universal health insurance scheme called Medicare, a social security system, came about through the struggle of working people and the unemployed, uh, the marginalised, demanding a better life. That's where it came from. Let's not forget that that's where it came from. And what we are now relying in April 2020 is on the vestiges, the remnants of these schemes to actually protect Australians from the worst excesses of the COVID-19 virus. Now, if we didn't have a public health system, if we didn't have a universal health insurance system, if we didn't have a pharmaceutical benefit scheme, which I forgot to mention before, which is the subsidisation of needed medications by government, and if we didn't have a social security system, we would find ourselves in a terrible situation as many people around the world are finding themselves in. And as I said before, these things came through struggle, through the struggle of your, your struggle, struggle of your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, which forced the state to change from an instrument of enforcement to an instrument which actually provides assistance to people. Now, after, over, we find ourselves not as best, best prepared as we should be. And the reason is because of the neoliberal, the privatisation, corporatisation, uh, globalisation, deregulation mantra which has dominated public discussion and the legislative uh, agenda of uh, state 
and federal governments, both Liberal National and Alternative Liberal Party masquerading in the Australian Labor Party. So we now find ourselves in a weakened position, a weakened position through privatisation, through the exporting of jobs overseas to the countries which pay people 60 cents an hour. And if there's one thing that this COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted is the dearth of manufacturing in this country and our over-reliance on imports. And that's what globalisation and corporatisation is all about. That's what it's all about. So we now find ourselves in this particular situation because of the social, cultural and economic system, neoliberalism, which has dominated thinking and the legislative uh, agenda in this country for the last four to five decades. I'll give you a simple example. The Victorian state government, the ALP government, recently privatised the ports. And what did the Port Authority do this week? in the mid of the COVID virus. It's jacked up the price of accessing the port for a container from $98 to $125. It's a 30% increase because they know that there's going to be a lot more trucks coming in to pick up a lot more containers because we are heavily reliant on overseas production for the basic medical necessities, things like gowns, masks, catheters, and the list goes on and on. Now, I'd also like to change tack now and actually thank a lot of people. Look, I've been a doctor for 46 years, longer than I care to remember, and I've been working part-time about two and a half days a week now for the last uh, 18 months. And I would like to thank a number of people in this country who are never thanked, who are continuing to front up to work to provide basic, necessary services to other human beings despite the threat to their personal safety. I'm not just talking about doctors and nurses in hospitals, and I'm not just talking about the cleaning staff and the uh, other staff in public hospitals and private hospitals, which have been now been co-opted into the public health system in the last uh, 12 hours. But I'm talking about all those people who provide at-home care, uh, attendant, personal attendant carers, people who go into people's home to look after the physically disabled, the intellectually disabled, the aged, all those people who get peppercorn uh, payment for going into and looking after people in aged care homes across this country. And once again, we find ourselves paying the price of privatisation. With the privatisation of uh, health, of uh, aged care, we are seeing so many defects because it's hard enough to pay your bills when you provide a, a good aged care service. But when you've got a scrape off a profit off the top of elderly people's uh, nursing needs, services fall behind. So once again, we find ourselves in this situation. So these are the unsung heroes 
heroes, heroes and heroines, the people who clean public toilets, the people who are providing emergency services, ambulance and paramedical um, uh, MICA staff. You know, these are the unsung heroes, the people who are keeping the lights on, keeping the NBN running. Again, it's difficult. I mean, these are the people that have actually allowed us to shut down and socially isolate so we can actually attempt to deal with the threats that this virus poses. But ultimately, the lesson is, if we've driven the spike in the vampire's heart, in the neoliberal vampire's heart, not working the virus, COVID-19, you know, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit back and say, oh, is me, woe is me, woe is me, the world is coming to an end, nothing will ever change? Are we going to allow them in six months' time when this particular pandemic uh, becomes a manageable part of everyday life in most communities, despite the number of deaths and serious injuries, are we going to let them say business as usual? Do we really want them to say business as usual? Because that's what Mr Morrison is talking about, business as usual. And it's not going to be business as usual. Obviously, some companies will go bankrupt. Some workers will lose their jobs. And if we continue down this uh, neoliberal pathway, we will be expected to uh, pick up the tab for what has happened. That's right. Pick up the tab for what has happened. Because it's going to cost this country about a trillion dollars when we add up the cost, not just the direct costs in wage subsidies, not just the direct costs in terms of business subsidies, but costs in terms of um, pressures on the current capitalist economic system. You know, the big C, the capitalist economic system. You know, Canberra may be the employer of last resort as it tries to bail out the private sector with public money. But in the long run, we are going to be asked to pay this back. And what does that mean? That means, one, austerity economics. When the COVID-19 threat is over and people go back to work, there is going to be austerity economics. The government is going to turn on the people and say, it's now time you need to pay for this. It's not going to turn on the private corporation. It's not going to turn on those that made a profit during this period. It's going to turn on people on Social Security benefits and say, now is the time you're going to have to pay this back. At the same time, You'll get increased inflation, which always happens when uh, debt increases nationally. You'll get increased inflation, which then will mean increased interest rates. So do we want to go down that pathway? Do we want to go down the pathway of austerity economics, inflation and increasing interest rates? Or do we want to look at something different? And as I said last week and the week before, if there is one lesson that we can learn from the COVID-19 pandemic. It's that we need, in this country, a universal basic income. 
Because if we had a universal basic income in this country, you wouldn't have the gyrations and the economic pain that we will be expected to suffer over the next generation because people would have been cushioned from the worst excesses of social isolation in order to uh, defeat the COVID-19 virus. That's right. They would have been cushioned from it. So what is a universal basic income? A universal basic income, as I keep saying, is one of the central policies of public interest before corporate interest. And that was a little bit uh, disheartened when I actually didn't actually see any new applications turn up, but that's life. But it's a central policy. It means that every adult receives a basic income, which is paid every fortnightly into their account by the government. Now, the wage subsidy scheme that we have now and the doubling of the money paid to Centrelink people is a form of a basic income. It is not a universal basic income, but a form. Everybody's out there saying, well, Joe, that's a good idea. I love it. But how are we going to finance it? How are we going to finance it? How are we going to finance it? Well, it's very simple. A universal basic income can be financed within current economic parameters. It does mean a little bit of shifting and a little bit of courage in terms of the legislative agenda in this country, but we are in a very good position to actually introduce a universal basic income in this country. Now, the idea of a universal basic income, it is paid to everybody. Then people may decide, and many people will decide, to work to increase that income. Now, that universal basic income would actually come back to the government through the taxation system if people earned, uh, say, four times more than the um, universal basic income. It all comes back. They earn three times more. They keep a quarter, half double, they keep a half, and the list goes on and on. But the question is, how do you finance it? How do you finance a universal basic income? And you finance it by, in three ways. One, a 1% stock market turnover tax. Now, the stock market is totally computerised. It doesn't take much to press a button, and 1% every time a stock or share is bought or sold, every time when the market goes up or down, every time one cent in that transaction goes to the Treasury coffers. You can raise anywhere between $50 billion to $150 billion, depending on what the stock market is doing every year by a 1% stock market turnover tax. The next tax that could be introduced is a 1% turnover tax. Now, many corporations today do not pay tax do not pay tax legally because of their globalised uh, corporations. Corporations which have physicals all over the globe who can actually shift assets here and there and actually not pay uh, tax 
in a uh, area like Australia and then maybe pay minimal taxation in Barbados or Ireland or wherever, you know. So a 1% levy on every transaction which occurs would raise at least anywhere between $500 billion to $750 billion per year. And then the last, but not least, we should think about privatisation. We should think about reversing the privatisation of mineral resources in this country. For far too long, companies that mine diamonds, gold, coal, uranium, iron ore, bauxite, rare metals, sand, and the list goes on and on, are making gas, are making extraordinary profits at the expense of the Australian people. At least the people of Norway had the good sense to keep the ownership of their resources and not pass them over to private corporations, and now they are reaping the benefits of having over trillions of dollars in their future fund, which we don't have. So if we introduce these three things, a 1% stock market turnover tax, a 1% turnover tax on every transaction which occurs in the country, and either fully, fully nationalise the uh, mineral resources in this country, or at least, or even think about partially nationalising them and asking for 80% of any profits which are made to go back to Treasury. We would have over a trillion dollars in the bank every year, and with a trillion dollars, you can actually pay for a universal basic income for every Australian. And obviously, if people have children, that would be adjusted to the number of children that they have. That That does a number of things. One... It prepares us for future shocks. And that's what it's about. It's about future shocks. How you prepare a highly urbanised society for future shocks, whether it's a virus, whether it's a so-called economic collapse, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a war. How do you prepare the population for a future shock? How do you prepare the population for an era when fewer and fewer people will be needed to actually provide the basic necessities and exports created in this country. With artificial intelligence, we will find that we do not need labour. And I'll give you, give you an example. It's a little bit different, but I'll give you an example, which I've, I've mentioned before. Now, in Rome, in ancient Rome, you had the patricians, who were basically the hereditary ruling classes, and you had the plebeians, who were basically, you know, uh, working people. And there was always this tussle between the patricians and plebeians. When the Roman Empire expanded, it created a large number of slaves, because people who were conquered were enslaved, and they were exported back to Italy and used as labour on the farms, and plantations and estates were created. So the plebeians were actually forced out of work. They were no longer needed in the Roman Empire because you had free labour, you had you had slaves. And they began to revolt and began to create trouble. So how did the Roman patrician class deal with the situation? By introducing a concept of subsidised rents, 
three food and 168 holidays a year. Bread and circuses. Bread and circuses. They're the same thing. But today it's not about having slaves. It's about technology. It's about technology making human labour redundant. And fourthly, the other thing that a universal basic income does, it actually prevents people who are involved in industries which are creating increased CO2 emissions, who are frightened of losing their jobs. So it actually provides a cushion and decreases the amount of resistance to changing productive methods in this country to deal with the question of a climate emergency, which will be still be there at the end of the COVID-19 crisis. So a universal basic income is not a panacea, but it is a mechanism via which a society can be cushioned against the worst threat they can face. It's a future shock cushion for all its citizens. And if there's one thing that should come out of this particular uh, crisis we're dealing with at the minute, once the actual health crisis has passed, is a push for the introduction of the universal basic income. And that's why in 2015, I was one of the founding members of public interest before corporate interest. Now, public interest before corporate interest was established at the end of 2015 for one very good reason, to put the interests of the public, that's the many, before the interests of the few, which is that 1% population that owns the means production, distribution, exchange and communication, and that 8% that have the disposable income to actually take, um, you know, take advantage of this country's investment-friendly laws. And that's what why it was formed, because people have forgotten what public meant. What the COVID-19 pandemic has done and the partial shutdown of this country has done and the world, it has brought to the world's attention the fact that globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation and privatisation, the neoliberal, you know, holy quads cannot, cannot deal with any type of significant emergency. And the tragedy is that Mr Morrison and his cohorts still believe there will be business as usual in six months' time in September, October, when society opens up again and the virus has been brought under control. They think it'll be business as usual. Well, they're wrong. The COVID-19 virus, as I said at the beginning of the program, has done what you and I and the world was not able to do. It has driven a stake through the heart of the neoliberal vampires. It has highlighted how inadequate, how totally inadequate an economic system based on competition not cooperation, how inadequate it is to deal with the crisis which occur in every society. And at the end of the day, we are just flesh and bones, nothing more flesh and bones. Think about it. Think about it. So, but nothing comes of nothing. Nothing comes of nothing. 
You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been produced in a car somewhere in Melbourne, uh, uh, courtesy of the great folk at Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, who have put me to air. I'm sitting in my little vehicle, uh, talking on the phone to you, uh, thinking about what uh, what we need to do, but unfortunately... People just think I'm crazy because I'm just sitting in a car talking on a phone. I think, what's this bloke doing now? Not there's anybody around. But it's quiet. That's the great thing about sitting in a car with the windows open. It's quiet so we don't get disturbed, you know. Not that you get a knock from your neighbour these days from a, for a cup of sugar because obviously you're trying to keep away from your neighbour. Now, look, if you'd like, like to learn more about anarchism or public interest before corporate interests or like to learn more about alternative economics or different types of economics, if you're interested in a, a long-term um, proposals as far as the COVID-19 pandemic is concerned, well, you can do a number of things. You can, yes, I do still receive letters, although there was, there was only one in the post office box today. You can send letters to post office box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Go to the YouTube page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. I'm trying to do one presentation a week. We're having some technical difficulties currently, but I'm hoping that the uh, uh, this week's uh, edition will be up in the next 24 hours. Well, let's cross our fingers. Uh, you can go to um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, have a look at their web page. Uh, and you can download the application form to join public interest before corporate interest because what we're trying to do is create a mass movement which is based on extra-parliamentary activity as well as parliamentary activities at a federal and state level. In order to be involved in the electoral process, we need 550 members on the Australian electoral roll, the federal electoral roll. We're up, up to about 411. And uh, as I said before, this is a great time to put up the banner of the public out there in front of the Australian people. For far too long, they have believed it's only the private sector that can provide any answers to the issues that confront us as a nation, as a people, and as part of an international, worldwide movement. So download the application form, pipsy.net. And don't disappoint me last week. Not one new member. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. Obviously, everybody's uh, worried about what's going to happen to them. Well, not only should we worry about what's going to happen now, but we should also worry about what's going to happen in the future because do we want the same thing to happen over and over and over again every time there's a disaster that everybody's nesting disappears, that people's superannuation goes down the gurgler, that, uh, you know, and the list goes on and on. So uh, that's something we have to think about listening to the anarchist world this week. Now, Canberra, the employer of last resort. Remember the global financial crisis when Canberra was the banker of last resort? Now they've become the employer of last resort. And uh, Mr Morrison and his cohorts have been um, dragged kicking and screaming to this position. And it's very interesting that they've uh, said that this will go on, the wage subsidies through the Australian tax office, through the employers, uh, to September sometime. But as far as mutual abrogation are concerned for people who are, going to, who are going to be forced onto Centrelink payments because they're sole traders or whatever, well, that's only been abolished till the end of April. 
So this government's mindset has not changed. It has not changed. They are dealing with the pandemic on a day-to-day basis, which is what you'd expect them to do. But their mindset regarding the future has not changed. They have exactly the same mindset they had before the pandemic began. They think that they can weather this pandemic and it will be business as usual at the end of the day, at the end of the year. It is not going to be business as usual because we will make sure, we will make sure that it is not business as usual. You and I will make sure it is not business as usual. We need to put new legislation on the agenda, legislation which finances a universal basic income for every Australian, so they are cushioned from climate emergency, they are cushioned from another pandemic, they are cushioned from an economic crisis. We need to put legislation in place which ensures that we can finance a universal basic income. And we need to actually expand manufacturing, not just in terms of private manufacturing. And those who are regular listeners to the Anarchist World this week will know that I've spoken for years about the need for the expansion of the cooperative and and collective movement in this country, a movement which has almost ceased to exist because... People who are members of cooperatives and collectives can provide basic services to people, basic manufacturing, and in some cases quite complex manufacturing, and actually provide safe, secure employment. Nobody gets rich in a cooperative or collective, but the fact that you're a member of a cooperative or collective which provides a service or creates goods means that you've got stability as far as income is concerned, stability as far as your work is concerned, because what happens to an individual is important to all those members of that cooperative or that collective. But the dilemma is that in 2020, you need seeding funding in order to establish a cooperative and collective, and none of the traditional Banking institutions will give seeding funding to people who've got ideas about establishing cooperatives and collectives. We need to create a third tier to the Australian economy. There's the private tier, the public tier, which has almost ceased to exist, which may expand after the COVID-19 crisis, and we need to create a cooperative and collectivist tier. Because if you allow just one area of the economy to be dominated by the private sector or the public sector, you will find that there are major issues. So think about it. Cooperatives and collectives. How do we provide grassroots funding? Maybe 1% of the trillions of dollars, I think it's about $2 trillion, must be much less now, that are in superannuation funds. 1%. 1%. Could be quarantined to provide seeding funding for cooperatives and collectives, and then those cooperatives and collectives, those that succeed, some will fail, some will succeed, those that succeed can cross subsidise those that have failed and pay back that money 
to the superannuation sector. The other thing we need to look at, and I think COVID-19 has shown us how ridiculous it is to allow the stock market to be used as a vehicle for superannuation funds. I mean, superannuation, as I've kept saying on this program, is nothing more than the privatisation of old age. You are expected to pay for your old age. Your money is invested in the majority of cases on your behalf unless you've got a self-managed super fund. And most of that money, believe it or not, goes into the stock market. And when stock markets go up and down by 7, 8, 9, 10% every day, you realise there's an issue. How can anybody have a secure future, especially if they're not able to work, through this superannuation fund if the, if the fund is actually used by the private sector to bolster the, the stock market? It's ridiculous. It is totally ridiculous. We find ourselves in a really difficult, especially older Australians, and now find themselves in a really difficult situation through no fault of their own. Because most people don't have billions of dollars or millions of dollars in their superannuation funds. They just have enough to tick over, you know, for the next 5, 10, 15 years, and then they rely on the old age pension. But if there was a universal basic income, you wouldn't have an old age pension. You wouldn't have a disability support pension. You wouldn't have a new start allowance. You wouldn't have a single parent's benefit. You wouldn't have this giant bureaucracy that is needed to, you know, have all these different pensions and support systems. So it makes sense. But in the middle of a crisis, sense is the last thing. Sense and reason is the last thing you would expect to hear. Vision Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network via Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm sitting in my car talking to my phone. That's right. I'm talking to you via my phone. I think I like it. Talking to yourself. I mean, the car's much smaller than the studio, but um, that's the way it goes. Now, we need to think, what can we do? Now, I think the first thing you need to do is keep safe. You need to keep safe. Those that are particularly at risk of COVID-19 currently are the elderly and people with disabilities, especially people with chronic respiratory disorders, you know, uh, lung problems. There's a lot of people in the community, both young and old, that have uh, asthma. There's a lot of people in the community that have been smokers and have emphysema. There's a lot of people in the community that uh, have got uh, various uh, exposure to uh, dust and uh, mica and other things in, in workplaces and have got lung damage. And these people are highly at risk of the COVID-19 virus because it tends to kill people by basically shutting down their lungs. And that's why there's all this shout for more and more uh, ventilators and staff. And that's why we are seeing very high mortality rates, up to 11% in Italy and I think 7 or 8% in Spain, high mortality rates. They've got a, they haven't got a universal health care system. They don't actually have uh, a lot of staff and a lot of medical equipment. The same in, in uh, the United States of America, which I understand the death rate has reached 3,500, 170,000 infections. That's recognised infections as I speak. And uh, 
you know, we could see a disaster of biblical proportions because, again, they don't have what we have. And I, every day I wake up, I thank Australian radicals. I thank those people that have, you know, that have fought to ensure that you and I, our children, our families, our friends, our community have access to a public health system. That's right. P, public health system, a universal public health system, which a homeless person can, can, can access and a billionaire can access. I'm also grateful, and I remember those meetings in 1973 when Bill Hayden, the Minister for Health, attempted to introduce a universal medical insurance system called Medibank in those days, now called Medicare. And I remember the resistance. I was a medical student. I was a second or third year medical student during that campaign. And these are the much reviled Whitlam Labor government, which made more reforms in four years than any that has occurred in this country in the past 120 years. And I remember the difficulty Mr Hayden and the Whitlam-led Labor government had introducing Medicare. It was resisted by the doctors. It was resisted by the doctors' association. It was resisted by the business sector. It was resisted by the Liberal Country Party in those days. It was resisted by the corporate-owned media. But they pushed through and introduced one of the most incredible reforms of our time, a universal medical insurance system for every Australian. Then I pay tribute to all those workers, all those unemployed people, all those people who for generations have been struggling for the establishment of a social security system, who are involved in protests and petitions and riots, which forced governments to change tack from an instrument of oppression to an instrument which not only enforced the law, but an instrument which provided basic services to its citizens. And irrespective of the humiliation, ostracization that has occurred of people on Social Security benefits, let's not forget that, that uh, 30% of Australians, almost 7.5 million people, rely on Social Security benefits to survive. And the last 20 years has been particularly difficult for them as the government, especially Liberal National Party governments, have turned the screws in order to humiliate them and force them out of the system. No wonder we have 700,000 children living in poverty, can't actually afford to go to a public school because they don't have money for the uniform or food or outings, the list goes on and on. And we allowed all this to happen before COVID-19. We allowed people to be discriminated we allowed people to be kicked around because they couldn't find work or didn't have a job or they were sick or they were disabled or they were single parents. We allowed all this draconian legislation to come into place to actually force people off the social security system. Let's hope we now have a change of attitude. All those people who lined up outside Centrelink offices, you know, the day after their businesses were closed down, 
who saw what other people on Social Security benefits have had to endure in this country will remember that. Hopefully they will remember that. Hopefully at the end of this pandemic, they will remember that by the grace of humanity or whatever, you can find yourself in this situation. If you don't have a good Social Security net, you can find yourself out the door, lose your house within six weeks. When things happen to individuals, we shrug our shoulders. But when it happens to the community as a whole, solutions need to be found. They need to be found. Solutions need to be found. I... But unfortunately, as I've said over and over during the program, and I'm becoming, giving me a headache, but I keep saying, it will be business as usual if you don't take up this opportunity to create that new world in your heart. It will be business as usual. I can guarantee you that by end of September, when the, when the virus is contained, it will be business as usual plus an austerity program, a government austerity program to try to get the money back, get the government back in the black, plus inflation as people take advantage of the situation, and we see it now, we see it in the petrol industry, we see it in certain sections of the uh, grocery industry, and the list goes on and on. So you've got austerity, increased inflation, then you watch those interest rates soar up. Watch them soar up. So do we really want business as usual? Do we want capitalism, private uh, private investment for private profit, profit to be the guiding light of our society or do we want something else? And it's not just going to happen because everybody's talking about business as usual. The only people who are not talking about business as usual is yours truly and you. We don't want business as usual. We want to create that new world in our hearts. We want to create a third tier to the economy based on collectives and cooperatives. We want a universal basic income for each and everybody to cushion us from future shocks, whether it's a virus, whether it's a climate emergency, whether it's a war, whether it's an earthquake, and the list goes on and on. We want those things, and we want them to be part of the political, social, and cultural agenda in this country. And they will not be part of that agenda without your support, because most people at the minute are too frightened, in a panic mode, and really are very, very concerned about their short-term and long-term future as they see their plans for themselves and their children and their families evaporate as the COVID-19 virus has a greater and greater impact on the community. So keep yourself safe. Keep yourself safe. Isolate yourself. Do all the right things. Wash your hands. If you've got a cough or a, you know, or a fever, seek some medical attention. And the list goes on and on. If you've got neighbours who are elderly, keep an eye on them. Give them a phone call or uh, you know, leave a message on their doorstep, whatever. But the, but, but the important thing is that we need to look at the future. We can contain this and we are containing this. But I don't want business as usual. 
Maybe you want business as usual. If you want business as usual, fair enough, but don't complain to me. Don't complain to me. Business as usual is not our mantra. It's time that we began articulating our plans for the future. And we cannot do this, I can't do this, listeners can't do this without more support. And I'm encouraging you, encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interest so we can register as a federal political party and get involved in the debate, everyday debates, and actually raise these issues of a universal basic income, collectives and cooperatives, seeding funding, a broadened social security system based on the concept of a universal basic income, which makes us more protected against future shocks. And that's what we need to look at. Increasing population growth, limited resources, increasing CO2 emissions, and the continuing domination of the world economy by neoliberalism, you know, globalisation, corporatisation, privatisation, deregulation, is a train trip to hell. And that's what it'll be. This is nothing compared to what could happen in an emergency if we continue to compete against each other, if we continue not to use cooperation. Now, the great thing about the COVID-19 crisis is the fact that it's pushed cooperation to the fore. To the fore. Thank you for listening to me on the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been brought to you from my car, courtesy... Yes, I don't actually... It's about $2,000, so... I don't actually owe any money. Courtesy of the Community Radio Network, I'd like to give a special thank to Gab, who's been um, coordinating all the little bits and pieces to keep us on air. It's a great privilege to be able to broadcast during the COVID-19 crisis. I hope to continue broadcasting over the next uh, few weeks. And uh, it doesn't matter where we broadcast, we will continue to broadcast and continue to bring you an up-to-date analysis. And that's what this is about, an up-to-date analysis. You can ring me on 0439 395 489, and I'm happy to send you out application forms to join public interest before corporate interest. You can download the application form from pibci.net. You can always... The postal service is still functioning. You can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Have a look at the Facebook page. Have a look at the, my post, Joseph Toscano, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. Have a look at anarchistmedia.org. Have a look at uh, uh, public housing, everybody's business, defend and extend uh, public housing. There are Facebook pages and the list goes on and on. Plenty of stuff to do. It's up to you. Don't despair. Grab the future with two hands. It's our future. It's time we created that new world in our hearts. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, which is doing a marvellous, marvellous actually broadcasting community radio during the COVID-19 crisis. And thank you to 3CR in Melbourne, which is the radio station which I'm actually uh, working outside of the building from. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Next week on your local community radio station, that website to download the application form, Pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Pibci, P 
pibci.net. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.